I will start. I was on YouTube last night about 10 o'clock um, saying nice things about Scott because there's four or five names in here I had to go to YouTube that I'd read for a week and a half, two weeks, and started writing out notes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to say these names. So, um, uh, yeah. Philemon is the most used uh, way to pronounce it. We did have the discussion in our house too. Um, I Googled it and then finally found one on YouTube. Turn the volume on the computer and listen to people say it over and over. Um, the other name um, was Onesimus. We'll talk a lot about him tonight. Um, that was the other one that I had to listen to quite a few times because I wasn't sure how to say it. So I am thankful, first of all, that Saturday night is here. I've had one of those weeks where it was just exhausting in every way that you can imagine at home, work, first week of school, just a lot of things going on. Um, a lot of reasons to get distracted, so bear with me. I think we've got, you know, a, this lesson narrowed down. Um, I was just one of those weeks that I think was just trying to pull me away from it, um, and there were some nights that it did, but um, I am thankful to be here, and thank you for coming and listening um, after you saw the email of who was teaching, so thank you. <laughs> just proves many people don't read the email. But anyway, no, when Scott asked me a couple weeks ago to teach on tonight, we started talking about, there was a three-week period before we start Acts about, should we go with a theme? And so we both agreed we'd pray about it and come back. Well, he calls me and says, hey, I have this great idea. And of course, my first thought was, oh boy. He says, hey, listen, there's three short single books of the Bible that nobody ever teaches, nobody ever preaches on. Let's do those. That's a great idea, Scott. Let's do it. He told me which one I had. That's great. I'd read it once or twice. So I get home and I read it and, I'm, and I read the 25 verses and I'm like, this, there's, a, there's some good things here, but how in the world are you going to get a lesson out of this? It's short. I'm not sure. And then, But I will tell you, the next two or three days, I began to read over and over these 25 verses over and over and then began to do some research on the background, the context, and looking at commentaries and what other people had taught on. And then the thought turned to how in the world are we going to narrow this down to about 20 minutes? So um, there is a lot here, believe it or not. So um, I, what's interesting to me, what, a couple of interesting facts about the book is the only personal letter written in the Bible. This is a personal letter from Paul to Philemon. Paul's written a lot of letters. We know that. This is the only one that, he, that is directed to one person dealing with a personal issue. It's a pretty private letter. It, it brought me back to, um, we don't get handwritten letters much anymore, but um, I, I know I enjoyed, there was a time when personal letters meant a lot to me. Um, Scott, if you ever, I know Scott was in the Air Force, if you're ever in the military, when you first leave home, there's nothing like getting your name called to get a letter. And so it, it, when I was reading that fact, this was the only personal letter in the Bible, I started thinking, going back to what that really means. And usually when somebody writes a personal letter, it means something. There's, there's a reason they're writing you. It's not just to say, hi, there's something they're trying to, to tell you. Um, and I actually experienced this about six weeks ago through our ministry. We were able to send some young men to an FCA camp. And one of the young men in Alabama went and changed his life tremendously. And I get home from work, and there's a letter, return address. I had no clue who it's from. It's from Selma. I haven't gotten a personal letter in, outside of Christmas cards. I cannot think of the last time. And this young man, 17 years old, wrote a full-page letter. And it, the structure was not much different than this. 
You know, he starts out with some compliments, and then he kind of talks about the impact that the camp had on him. And I, I carry it, it's in my briefcase, I carry it to work every day. Just because, to me, it just brought back the power of a personal letter. So um, that was the most interesting fact of this book that I found. Um, but a little background before we go through it. Um, Paul wrote it when he was on house arrest in Rome um, to Philemon. Philemon was a leader in the church in present-day Turkey. This book was written at the same time as the book of Colossians. Um, some people believe delivered at the same time. Um, it was written about 62 AD. Uh, we, we know that Philemon was a, was a friend of Paul's. Um, we'll see in the first couple of verses, he was married, had at least one son. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. And he had committed a crime, stolen from Philemon, had fled to Rome, meets Paul. Paul develops a relationship with him and shares the gospel. Onesimus gets saved, and that's what generates the whole purpose of this letter. But when I, when I was reading about him being a slave, my mind goes back to American history and slavery. So I looked up, started doing a little more research on slavery in the Roman Empire. And depending on what scholar you find and believe, anywhere from one-third to two-thirds of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. That blew me away. But they were typically treated with some respect, with some dignity, they could have a job, they could accumulate some wealth. They were said some were even teachers, which I thought first week of school, I'm reading this, slave and teachers, I just, anyway, um, we won't go down that road. But uh, I just found that interesting that that was one of the professions that, that what they would call slaves did. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to just go through it, um, read it, all the verses, but stop every few verses and kind of talk about those, pull out a few nuggets. And at the end, I wrote down just a couple, couple, three takeaways that for me out of the book, hopefully will, that encouraged me this week, hopefully will encourage you. So verses one through three, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker and Apphia, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts out, Paul, emphasizing he's a prisoner. So I went back to Romans all the way to Titus. This is the only time Paul starts a letter that way. I thought he had done it a few more times, but it was it's usually Paul an apostle or Paul a servant. This is the very first, only time that he, that he brings up Paul a prisoner when he starts a letter. Not sure why he did that. Maybe he was reminding Philemon where he was, or maybe it was news to Philemon. Not sure, but it was obviously very important. And also, it's mentioned five times. There's 25 verses in this book. Paul mentions five times, verses 1, 9, 10, 13, and 23, about him being in prison. So obviously, that is a big deal to this letter. Um, he referenced... Um, Timothy, not sure why. I took from it maybe just to show that, hey, Philemon, we're going to address an issue with you with, with this slave that has come to us. We're trying to get him for you to accept him back. Timothy concurs with this letter too because it says Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, and then he addresses it to Philemon. So I took out of that that, you know, he's trying to show that this is there's some another brother agrees with me as we're getting ready to bring something to your attention. 
And this letter is, um, after I have spent a lot of time reading it, it really, Paul does a great job in all of his letters of being able to use words very well to encourage the recipients or to um, get them to follow along to something he's trying to, a message he's trying to get. And this book is no, no exception. He is, it's very eloquently written to get to the main, the main purpose. And in verse 1, he, he references Philemon as a f- beloved worker. So obviously, you know, that's how we take that it's, it's personal. It's a, it's a fellow worker. So it's, it's a personal letter. And then he, he mentions uh, Apphia, Philemon's wife, and then Archippus is uh, Philemon's son. So let's go down to verse 4 through uh, 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So here... Paul's first thing he says is, hey, I pray for you. You know, that's another thing. That's how we know it It is personal. He's reminding him, hey, I have been praying for you. I remember you. And then he he gets to the compliments. You know, he ain't quite got to the meat of what he's going to ask Philemon to do. So he says, hey, I've been hearing you love God and you love others incredibly well. And so the first time I read that, I circled the two words, love and faith. And I, I started thinking to myself, do I love God well? Do I love others well? Um, if someone is going to write a letter um, to me, um, are they going to say, hey, Stuart, I heard that you love God well. I heard you love others very well. So it, it, I paused there and kind of did a little um, examination of my heart, and that really stuck out to me. And I'd ask you the same thing. You know, how are we doing in loving God and love in loving others? If somebody's going to write you a letter, are they going to, are they going to, can they say that they heard from somebody about your love for God and your love for others? Um, and then how did Paul hear about it? Um, I think Onesimus is the one that went and told him, you know, because he's the one that fled Philemon to go to Rome to get away because he had, he had wronged Philemon. He had stole from him. He was trying to get away from him. Um, and everything I read that a slave that flees like that should have died, should not have even lived. But yet Paul took him in and loved on him and shared the gospel. Verse 6, um, he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. So he's challenging Philemon to share his faith. He says that he's, he's, he loves God and loves um, loves others, but he says he, in, in the end of verse 5, he, he's talking about his love for all the saints in his church. Philemon was a church leader that met in his home. And so now Paul is saying, hey, but what about your, your evangelism? And I personally think he's saying that because Onesimus, who was a slave of Philemon, fled to Rome and heard the gospel. It's like, hey, this guy was your slave. Why did you not share your faith with him? Again, I paused again and started thinking about um, how am I doing sharing my faith? And I know um, I've heard Joe Perry talk a lot, a lot about that um, over the years at Prestonwood. And so tonight, that was a great, 
a great reminder if you're in the service about the importance of always sharing your faith. We should always be active in it. And Paul is telling Philemon the same thing, um, that he's hoping that it may become effective. So for me and you, it, I hope that we become effective in sharing our faith. Um, but why should we do it? Well, first of all, we're told to share our faith. But secondly, I think the more you share your faith, the more you're reminded of how much Jesus loves you and how much God has blessed you. Every time I share my faith, I'm talking about Jesus, so it should remind me of how blessed I am. And so to me, that's an encouragement to step up my game in the evangelism arena, hopefully to you as well. So he closes out verse 7 with another compliment. He says, I mean, this section in verse 7, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So again, he's he's complimenting his love, but he says that the saints have been refreshed through you. So I think if you look at verse 6 and 7, he's telling Philemon, you know what? You do a great job of caring for people in your church, but you need to step it up on caring for those outside the church. And I think that's a great reminder for us today. And I think we, um, whether it's here in the pastor's class or church as a whole or the big C church in America or across the world, we do, we do a good job of taking care of people inside maybe. What about the people outside the church? So that was another encouragement that I got from that section and hopefully you as well. So now when you go to verse 8 through 16 or so, we really kind of get to the whole point of the letter. The first seven verses, Paul's just kind of setting the stage, buttering him up, if you, if you will, of what he's going to ask him. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be for compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So this is where Paul begins to appeal to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Hey, I'm sending this guy back to you. I want to send him back to you. I want you to accept him. He's wronged you. I get that. But he is no longer useless. He's no longer a slave. He is not useful. So I want you to accept him back in love. But he says in verse 8, basically, I could command you. Then in verse 9, but I prefer to to do it through love. I don't know about you. Um, I would rather someone follow me or me follow someone because I want to or out of love versus because I have to. And I think that's what Paul's getting here. He's telling him, hey, I, I could tell you to take him back, but I want to appeal to you in love. Because really, what would it have done to Onesimus if he had been accepted back? Because Philemon didn't really, didn't really want him back, but Paul told me to, so come on back. I mean, I don't think that um, would have been a very good situation. 
Verses, um, again, 9 and 10 talks about him being in prison. And then um, 11, formerly useless. That's, again, referring to him being a slave. But now he's born again. And then verse 12 and through 16, the, the formal appeal to Philemon to accept him back and forgive. Forgiveness is the biggest word that... It's not mentioned in this 25 verses, but you can pull out of this, is the importance to forgive. And that's what Paul is pleading with Philemon to do, is to, is to forgive him and give him a second chance. And so I started thinking about, you know what, I am so thankful that we have a God of second chances, that God forgives. And I'm thankful for people in my life that have given me a second chance. And that's exactly what Paul is asking Philemon to do. Is hey, yeah, he messed up, but we've all messed up. Give him a second chance. Forgive the guy. Accept him back in love. And I, to me, it just starts painting a picture of the gospel right here in the letter without mentioning Jesus, without, without mentioning truly what we know is the gospel. But to me, it paints a picture of it. It illustrates it perfectly, is that um, this forgiveness is exactly what happens to us when we say yes to Jesus. When we accept Jesus, God forgives us, so why shouldn't we forgive a brother who has wronged us? So, um, you know, I started thinking about, you know, the Bible is full of people that got second chances. I know when one of the sports camps we did last summer is a four-day deal, and we, that's what we did the four days. The, the talk to the kids was, was all about second chances, and we pulled out Jonah, Peter and Paul, and we broke it down into their life before Christ, you know, where they ran away from God, their second chance, and what they did with it. So the Bible is full of second chances, and that's exactly what, you know, we're, we're seeing here is, is, is uh, Paul is really pleading that Philemon do it, but do it out of love. So verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. So now Paul kind of shifts and he's making his appeal to Philemon on his own account. You know, receive this guy as you would receive me, Paul. We're friends. We're brothers in Christ. So receive him as you would receive me. And to me, that's just another um, reminder of the importance of unity among believers. Um, you know, that we should receive one another like we want to be received. Um, and, and he's just, again, just trying to drive home the point that I want you to do the right thing here. But then he kind of goes back to um, painting the picture of the gospel again because he's offering to pay the debt himself for Onesimus. Hey, there's, there's a debt that needs to be paid. I'll take care of it for you. We'll wipe it clean. A fresh start. And I thought, wow, it's the gospel again. That's what Jesus did for us. You know, we've all, we're, all, we're all slaves to sin at one point. You know, and then our, the debt was paid. It was wiped clean. 
to say nothing of us owing anything else. And so he's just reminding Philemon of that. And, he, and then in, in verse 21, confident of your obedience. He's saying, hey, I know your character, and I'm going to trust your character that you will do this because I'm confident that you will obey. So he's telling Philemon that, hey, I believe in you. Um, I trust you. I think you're going to do the right thing, and that's to forgive. That is to forgive. And then he closes out this section just saying, you know, he's hoping that there's a way made that he can come visit him. I think there could be, hey, there's, he's kind of hinting at a little bit of accountability. Hey, I want to come visit you. I'm going to come see Onesimus at your house, perhaps. So I mentioned the word forgive, forgiveness. I took that as a central theme of this book. I came across a quote, I think sums it up perfectly. Uh, A pastor, Kent Crockett, uh, said this about forgiveness. He said, we base our forgiveness on what God has done for us, not on what another person has done to us. How often do we get that wrong? We think about what the person has done to us, not what God has done for us. We base our forgiveness on what God has done for us, not on what, the other, what another person has done to us. And I started thinking, what has God done for me? He's given me a hope, a fresh start, a second chance. But yet, when someone wrongs me, I look at what they did. I don't look at what God has done for me and potentially for them. And what if we shifted that view and we started approaching situations that needed for us to, when we were in a situation to forgive somebody, what if we approached it from, I remember what God's done for me, so I'm going to forgive. It's not about what that person has done to me. I just, that just really um, stuck with me and and just really spoke to me because I just, forgiveness is a struggle at times, especially when you have the the vision of what the person did. So just remember what God has done for us. The last few verses is just a, just a final greeting. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So I get to this point and I go, wait. There's still one question that's not answered. Did Philemon take him back? He's like watching a TV show and it says to be continued. You know, I'm like, did, did Philemon accept him back? The text doesn't answer it. Um, doing some research, there's some writings 50 years later after this that, that say that show that Anesimus did go back and became to be a, a, a local church leader with them. So um, that was... A frustration for me for a couple of days. I kept going, wait, wait. I read it three or four times going, well, did I miss something? But, you know, the, the unanswered question. But um, I'm going to, before I get to the takeaways, y'all know if anybody that's been around me for a few minutes knows that I love, well, I love a couple of things, football, donuts, and cookies. But anyway, um, I had to find a sports story. It's football season. I, had, I came across, I was researching you know, sports illustrations were forgiveness. And I'd never heard, it's from 1929. And this is the perfect 
illustration of forgiveness that I could find. Um, Roy Rigels played for the University of California. It was the Rose Bowl. Um, it's the end of the first half. He picks up a fumble. He spins out of a tackle, and he starts running to the wrong end zone. His teammate tackles him right before he scores. Buzzer goes off. It's halftime. He goes in, sits in the corner, puts a towel over his head in embarrassment. The coach says nothing the entire halftime, which is never good when a coach is quiet. Teammates didn't say anything, and they say the timekeeper came in and said, hey, you got three minutes, and it's time to get back out there. And so the coach says, all right, men, the same team that played the first half will start the second. The team gets up, goes out the door, except for Roy. He wouldn't move. And the coach calls him by name and says, get out there. And he, he wouldn't move. So coach, so coach Price goes over to the corner, looks down at him, and said, Roy, did you hear me? The same team that played the first half will start the second. Roy lifted his head. He says, eyes were real red from crying, his cheeks wet. Coach, he said, I can't do it. I've ruined you. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. I couldn't face that crowd in that stadium to save my life. Coach Price put, reached out, put his hand on the player's shoulder and said to him, Roy, get up, go on back, go on back. The game is only half over. Roy went back out on the field, played, and they said the, after the game, the opposing team said they've never seen a player play that hard, ever. And I thought, wow, what a picture of a second chance. The dude, had, I mean, the Rose Bowl, he messed it up. And as a football fan, I'm not sure I'd want him out there on the second half, right? I mean, who wants to see Roy out on the field in the second half if you're, if you're a University of California fan and he had messed up the Rose Bowl? But I thought that was a perfect picture that coach showed of a second chance of, hey, it doesn't matter what's happened. And so to me, I was thinking about the second chances we get in Christ. Jesus says, hey, it doesn't matter what happened in the first half. Get up and get going. The game is still going on. Get out there and play. So what if we lived that way? So here's the three little takeaways that I wrote down on a sheet of paper the other night. I wrote overall application, why and how do we forgive? And I wrote three things. I said, we, we need to remember Jesus. Simply just remember what Jesus has done for you and me. That's how we forgive. If we can focus on that, we can forgive. We need to love more. You don't have to log into a social media account or turn on the TV to figure out we need more love in this world. We need more love in this city. So forgiveness, I think, starts with us loving more. Think about what Paul said about Philemon. I heard about your love for God and love for others. Think about maybe somebody that has wronged you or you're wrong or um, you have wronged them. Are you willing to forgive them? Do you love them? Are you showing them love? And the last thing I wrote was forgive often. And it goes back to that quote. We forgive because of what God has done for us, not what's done to us. And I just think... Um, those three things, if we all take those, um, let those sink in this week, just remember Jesus, love more, and forgive often. I know it encouraged me. Hopefully it encouraged someone in here. I'm going to close with uh, two verses, Ephesians 4.32 and 5.1. And really, um, once I 
I read these verses, I thought I really could have just gave the intro to Philemon, read these two verses, and sat down. Does these two verses just drive the whole point home? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Those two verses sum it all up. Be kind to one another. Again, we don't have to look very far. We need a lot more of that. Um, Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. And then last thing in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. So I just hope and pray that we all leave here um, with a stronger desire to love God more, to love others more, and that we would be a people that um, reflect that love in our words, not just our words, but our actions, that we would live this out, that we would um, remember Jesus' love more and forgive often in not just what we say, but what we do. And I, I mentioned earlier, forgiveness is a struggle. I'm not going to say it's easy. You know, I, I know there's plenty of people in here that can testify that forgiveness is difficult. The Bible doesn't say it's easy, but the Bible says to forgive. And it says why we should forgive, and that's because we've been forgiven. So that's the challenge. Is um, Not that it's easy, not that there's some magical formula. The quote sounds great. Remember what God's done for us, not what the other person's done to us. That sounds, that's powerful. It doesn't make it easy, but I challenge you just to change your mindset on, on that and just remember what God has done for us and that hopefully we will be a people, we would be a class that are, that's quick to love and quick to forgive. And I, I just, the last thing I wrote in my notes is, I don't believe it's an option. If we're truly followers of Christ, I don't think everything that I've, I've shared that I learned from this, I don't think it's an option. If we're truly followers of Christ, I believe we have to live that way. It's not optional. So the game's not over. Let's get up and, and go play, right? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you still speak to us through your word. And God, I thank you for this letter, this personal letter that we can be reminded of, number one, how much you love us, the power of forgiveness, how much you have forgiven us. I pray that each one in here tonight, that we would leave with more love for you and a desire to love others more. I pray that we would all be a people that love you, that we love others, that we would live a life of love and forgiveness to others, not just in what we say or what we post on social media, that our lives would reflect that in our action. And God, I pray for anybody in here that may be struggling. They've maybe wronged or they've wronged somebody. They're struggling with forgiveness. God, I just pray that you would give them the boldness to, to take that step and approach someone and talk about it, that they would see it for what you have done for them, not what someone has done to them. And God, I just pray that um, you'd be with each one of us as we leave here. God, again, that we would just be a people that love you more and love others more. All this we pray in your name. Amen.